Okay. مستقيم ولا رب العالمين والعاقبة عدوان إلا على الظالمين والصلوات الله وسلامه على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته everybody Righty ho, so Jazakumullah Khair for joining us uh, for uh, our uh, logical progression special from uh, Mecca, alhamdulillah. The uh, Kaaba is just behind us uh, here, they've drawn the curtains, uh, so you can't see it. Um, but alhamdulillah, uh, we are joined here with uh, some of the folks in the uh, Umrah group at the moment. Um, and for their benefit, for your benefit I mean, the book that we are covering, for those who have not uh, heard or attended this lesson, is a book which is called Al-Sharh Al-Mumti'ah, the nice and easy explanation uh, of Zad Al-Mustaqni'ah. Zad Al-Mustaqni'ah basically translates as the, the sufficient provision of the one who wants to satisfy themselves in fiqh. That's basically the old style, you know, the scholars used to write little, little simple treaties, simple little essays that would detail all of the key legal issues and then they'd leave it for the scholars later to come and write detailed commentary and explain. So I'm actually explaining the explanation with a modern context and, you know, dealing with all of uh, uh, you know, the modern matters. And the chapter that we're in is in the description of the prayer and the sub-chapter that we're in is the dislike matters of the prayer. And so the uh, text of where we've got to, I'll read it in the Arabic, uh, Fossil, sub-chapter, وَيُكْرَفُ فِي الصَّلَاءِ إِلْتِفَاتُهُ وَرَفْعُ بَصْرِهِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ وَتَغْمِيدُ عَيْنَيْهِ وَإِقَعَاؤُهُ وَإِفْتِرَاشُ ذِرَعَيْهِ سَاجِدًا وَعَبْتُهُ وَتَخَصُّرُهُ وَتَرَوُّحُهُ وَفَرْقَعَةُ أَصَابِئِهِ وَتَشْبِيكُهَا I don't think we're going to get further than that. That, that translated is, and in the prayer it's, it's disliked to glance around, stroke, turn around. Well, glancing is more accurate and to lift the, sky, the eyes to the sky, to close one, one's eyes, to sit in uh, the position of iqa'a, as I gave a demonstration on the bus earlier on, which is basically, uh, well, I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. And that you spread your forearms on the floor, you put them on the floor like this when you are making sajda, okay, like the dog does, okay. And fidgeting in the prayer, uh, which I'm going to explain today, meaning uh, putting your hands on your hips. Uh, which is either leaning or to fan oneself in the prayer. Um, and then to put, uh, uh, to crack the, the fingers like this, okay? And then to uh, fidget with them and to intertwine them in this kind of manner. And that's probably enough for today. So where we stopped last week, um, we've already covered the issue of um, uh, the turning in the, in the prayer. Basically, it's not allowed to look around. And it's linked to the issue of uh, link, uh, uh, looking up to the sky. Um, all of this, the Prophet ﷺ has specifically warned against, saying that the looking here, the glancing here and there, the Prophet ﷺ said, this is shaitan who is stealing from your prayer. Again, you are standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a huge disrespect, which then moves into the area of the eyes to the heavens, which is a very natural thing. When you're making dua, that's what we do normally. We look up to the heavens. So it's great in dua, not, not a problem. But in salah, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in front of you and you are to look down at the sajda point as we discussed earlier on today as well. And uh, for the folks online, obviously, it's something which is interesting because we were praying today right in front of the Kaaba. And we've got a great spot in the Dhuhr. And you might see some of the pictures on the Hajj uh, with AE page that uh, Uthman took. And um, it's very empty. It's look, it looks like, you know, it's crazy, right? So um, it's very, very tempting to, you know, when standing in front of the Kaaba, and obviously you guys were about, you know, 20, 30 meters back, but still in front of the Kaaba, right? It's very tempting to look straight at it. And it's so, it's eye candy to a whole different level. I mean, it's so gorgeous to look at. And you know in your heart, this is religious as well. I mean, it's the real deal. Um, and I did say that some scholars did say that this is something which is allowed because it's like a, one of the attributes of God in that it's his house. And so it's almost like you're looking at Allah, kind of, you know, they did a bit of ta'wil and itself is it's rewarded to look at, etc., etc. Uh, but the majority of scholars are clear on it that the sunnah is the Prophet ﷺ, whether he was in Mecca, whether he was in Medina, wherever, wherever he was, he would look down and focus at the point of sajda. As I said, the, the positions of the Prophet ﷺ in the prayer with respect to his eyes is well known. Looking at the sajda point when standing, looking straight down when in ruku'a, looking at straight down with eyes open when in sajda, okay, and looking at the finger when one is in the tashahud position. Okay, when they're between the two sajda, then it still remain on the uh, sajda point. Nowhere did the Prophet ﷺ look uh, there. At the same time, we did say that this is not from the serious, serious haram issues. Okay, uh, I mean the glancing. We've said that before, that there was glancing that was occurring here and there sometimes, even by the Prophet ﷺ. If there was a need, and I gave the example of the, 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 the incident of the shi'ab, which is the valley in which the Prophet ﷺ was waiting for news from the enemy, and just making sure that the situation was at the Battle of Hunayn. And so if there's a need, you know, a child is, uh, you know, there and they look okay, but they might be getting a bit too close. And so you have a quick glance. And so a need, it's okay. But otherwise, the focus has got to be straight there. As for the issue of looking up to the sky, that's far more serious, even though that would seem more justifiable. Because if you look up to the sky, it's like a heavenly divine kind of look to the sky. But that's a disrespect in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ was super strict, which is why we said that maybe the class position should consider it not to be makroo, disliked, but actually haram. Because the Prophet ﷺ said that, uh, you know, you better stop uh, or uh, perhaps Allah will snatch your eyesight from you. And in the longer version of the hadith, it says, and it will and not return it back to you. Right? So it's like not just a temporary situation, but a very serious one. And so therefore, the, the, the showing of respect and focusing it down yani in the sajda point is essential, okay? Um, and in the closing of the eyes, we said that the scholars, they gave different kind of example, uh, reasons for it. And they said that it is the copying of the Jews. And it's not allowed to, to, uh, to copy or to imitate other people, anyone, anything in their religious actions or, or uh, uh, baseless actions like animals or something like that, right? So animals don't do religious actions, but you're not allowed to copy the actions of animals. And other religions, you're not allowed to copy their actions either, right? Because that is an act of worship. And so it was put forward that the Jews themselves, they often considered the closing of the eyes an essential part of their prayer. And this is important, by the way, the issue of copying other religions, all right? That's something which is not allowed, and it will come again in a few things. Uh, 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 um, it will come in other matters as well. But I do want to say that uh, it might not be the strongest of ta'lil, 
Ta'lil means the most strongest of logical reasonings or the evidence uh, rationale. So that's possible that that's yani, the case. However, the other one is far more important. The Prophet ﷺ has never been narrated to close his eyes. And when you see his eyes are open all the time, number one. And number two, when you know that it is so important to control your zone in the prayer, it's not possible to do that with your eyes closed. If I'm saying to you it's obligatory to stop the person who is cutting the prayer, you're not, yani, you know, uh, magic that you can see a person with your eyes closed. You need to see this person and then put the hand up to, spot, to stop them. So this is something that basically summarizes where we've got to. The issue now is then the sitting of Iqa'a. And we said that the, um, uh, there is a scholarly, big scholarly discuss discussion in how you sit. And um, the problem of that we have is that the modern generation, right, have really taken this to a whole new level. Like before, back in my day when I was young, right? You know, we used to, we used to uh, 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 when I was like 20 odd, we used to determine whether a person's practicing or not to see, to see how easy it was that they were sitting in their prayer. Because you'd know that this person's not practicing because his mom and dad weren't practicing because they didn't even make them pray when they were young, right? Whereas the people who were semi kind of practicing, uh, uh, like secular type of practicing, because, you know, the secular type of practicing is that every parent wants their son and daughter to read sabak and supara and, you know, the kind of very base level of uh, religion, not really wanting to go any proper deep, but they send them to the masjid and they do their little bit. So what they can do is at least sit properly, but they might not practice in any kind of way. And so that's always been the case, actually. We always make that judgment call upon another person just by watching how they sit. Nowadays, the majority of people, young folks, they can't sit in the prayer. I mean, sit, I mean, sit on their left foot, which is, takes a lot of pressure and weight, and then lift up the right foot, which is, you know, at the end of the day, so you need to have it flexible. Yeah, I mean, to have the toes pointing towards the Kaaba, right, Qibla, that's not easy unless you're, you practice it when you're young, right? That's why you got that kind of behavior and then that kind of behavior, and then it slips and it keeps slipping, right? But that's what used to happen back in my day, slipping, slipping. Now people are just sitting flat, right? But they sit on their two feet, basically. The, 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 the tops of the feet are in uh, uh, contact with the ground. And this is a form of iqa'a. And a number of scholars uh, consider this to be a, a hated action and even prohibited action. And um, the main reason, because this is, what is one of the, the imitations of the dog. And I gave the demonstration. You guys can watch the video when you get back. It's in the previous session. And I just wanted to add that the one that uh, is the most common is also the one which is most disputed. And that is when you sit on your toes, on your heels. So your backside's basically supported on your heels and you're sitting on your feet like this, yeah? Like if you were to just kneel down on the floor, yeah? You wouldn't go like that, would you? You would just kneel down, right? Your feet and you'd sit on the toes. Your toes would be pointed towards that. And some scholars like the Hanafis, for example, they reject this position completely and more than the Hanafis as well, actually. They said this is completely prohibited. This is the sitting of the dog. And those that allow it, they use the evidence in Sahih Muslim where Abdullah bin Abbas said that this is the sunnah of your prophet. So then there, there starts a discussion. Is it possible that this was abrogated? So before it was allowed and then later it was disallowed. And this difference of opinion is going to remain because it's how you understand that evidence. All right. So that's us basically caught up. Then the issue is um, to uh, spread your arms out when you're in sajda. So that's, yani, you know, you're in sajda and instead of your hands up, uh, your elbows apart, away from your body and up, they put them down on the floor. And that's something which is complete not allowed. That is exactly how a dog sits, all right? So they kind of, you know, they, they sit like this, right? So that's something which is impermissible. 
And we said that if there was a need because of this busy and everyone's squeezing in, then that's an exception which is acceptable. But otherwise, person by themselves, that's not allowed to sit like that, all right? Or to, to be like that in the prayer. And uh, one of the reasons, by the way, that we know when something's not allowed to do, even though the author says that this is uh, disliked, but this is something which, as a class position, it's actually prohibited. This is what we believe. The Hanbalis say, no, it's only disliked. But we believe it is prohibited because one of the key things we, we recognize prohibition by is when humans are compared to animals. And we spoke about this earlier on, right? And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, uh, uh, compares us to an animal, uh, it is a very serious thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And so like the, the, the example of those people who carrying the Torah, who are the bearers of the Torah, so this is referring to the Jewish nation, are like, and, and don't fulfill it, so they've been given the Torah, they've been given the actual, uh, uh, the book itself, uh, as a gift, and as a guidance, and as a job to go and spread it, but then they don't carry it, so they're not worthy bearers, they don't act upon it, they don't teach it, and then they, they, their example is, uh, like donkeys that are carrying books, you know, like uh, on their backs when they're, when they're uh, carrying goods, i.e. it has no value, no uh, impact upon them. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala compares humans to donkeys, it is the most severe criticism. In the uh, other uh, example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-A'raf, that, that was uh, Surah Al-Jum'ah verse 5, in Surah Al-A'raf verse 175, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and recite to them the story of الَّذِي آتَيْنَاهُ آيَاتِنَا And I, you know, I've given a lecture on this uh, ayah. Uh, it's called Raising the Game. I think it's called Raising the Game or something like that. Um, and I think it's useful for you to watch it because it's important to understand. Just um, in, in that lecture, I divide, I divide uh, the jinn, the uh, 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 jinn, animals, and humans, I believe, if I remember correctly. And then I speak about what is expected from us from a levels kind of uh, experience. But anyway, um, recite to them, O Prophet, the story of the one that we gave him our signs, فَانْسَلَخَ minha, and But then he abandoned those signs, فَأَتْبَعَهُمْ شَيْطَانِ فَكَانَ مِنَ الْغَاوِينَ But then the shaitan then basically jumped on his case, and so therefore he became from those who went astray. وَلَوْ شِئْنَا لَرَفَعْنَاهُ بِهَا And if we had wanted, then we could actually have raised him with these verses that we gave him. We could have given him a real position. But he became obsessed with the dunya. Okay? And he followed his de desires. So the example of this person is is the example of a dog. You, you show some attention and love and whatever, it pants. And if you leave him alone and abandon him, it pants. You know, like this. It, it's, it carries on in that state. This is whenever, as I said before, the Prophet Sallallahu Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala uses the example of an animal, it's a disgrace, it's a curse. The other hadith, which is very famous, uh, which I'm glad Sheikh Uthameen mentions, is Al-A'idu fi hibatihi kal-kalbi ya'udu fi qay'ih. That the one who takes back his gift is like the dog who takes who eats back his, his vomit. 
and we are not it's not we are we it's not becoming for us to have these kind of examples it's not becoming do you understand that point and so therefore what that basically what that basically means is that a person himself should not be in a position where um, ever their actions are being compared to an animal you get what I'm saying yeah folks and obviously a dog which is, is regurgitating and taking back its vomit is disgusting and that is the same person the example of a person who gives someone a gift and then says you know can I have that back right so that's just to prove that point that when someone does this all right uh, 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 any actions which animals are compared against then it's uh, it is uh, indicating uh, something which is haram okay um, so now, yeah, so, so that's done. Right, now let's talk about abath, all right, fidgeting. Now, Sheikh says that uh, on page 232, that uh, fidgeting in the prayer is something which is uh, de detested, reprehensible, it's disliked. You are keeping yourself busy with that which there's no need, and there are a number of harms that, that occur as a result. The first is inshigal qalb, okay, that the heart becomes preoccupied. And... Uh, there, there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, uh, which I was reading earlier on. SubhanAllah, it's a really nice uh, hadith, which I hadn't read for a long time. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, and I want to get the exact wording. He said, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, inna la'abath, la inna fi salat la shughal, la, na, inna fi salat la shughalan. That, yani, uh, uh, there's work to do in the prayer. That's the way that I like to translate that. There's work to do in the prayer. Yani when you enter into salah, don't yani just got, like, go into it. Like, you know, get busy, get yourself ready. It's gonna take some effort. So you already need to get into prayer with full you know, preparation and know what's going on and whatever. And uh, Sheikh Muhammad Muqtara Shanqiti, who uh, obviously gave a commentary as well, he said that if you look at the Salaf, the early generations when they would get into the prayer, uh, Ali Zain al-Abidin, who is the grandson of Ali radiallahu when he used to make wudu, his face would yani, become like, you could, people would walk, look at his face and he, they could see fear in his face. And they'd say, yani, you're making wudu, what's the problem? He goes, do you know who I'm going to stand in front of? Do you know who I'm about to stand in front of? Yani, they would be preparing mentally yani, that they are just about to go and pray in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, do you realize who I'm going to beg, uh, beg in front of? Naja means yani, to seek salvation from. Do you realize who I'm, who I'm about to beg from? It's not like some employer or some guy or some friend. I'm about to beg from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, Shaykh Muhammad Muqtara says that when you uh, stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are in work and it's the most honorable and the greatest and the most exquisite and the most noble of work, then this is what, this, this work that we were created for. That's what, the only reason that in, ins and jinn was created was for this work. So when you are fidgeting, and fidgeting has a lot of, yani, uh, uh, a large scope. So we're talking, you know, always fixing the thobe, yani getting the, the, the beard ready, the hijab, and so on and so forth. Yani just making, you know, you know, all this kind of businesses. Everyone has their own issues, right? And that's just, yani, the ones that you justify for yourself. Then, then the one, they're the ones which are completely unjustifiable, which is person just, just you know, here and there. This is a person thinking that I've got to be in a state, so I've got to do this. No, that's not right. And therefore, if you understand this, then the pre-preparation before that means that you don't go into prayer with a light hijab, for example. That's moving around. You go in with a heavy one that there's no chance of. And a person, yani, shouldn't go in. You know, uh, every 
every nation has its own problems, right? The Arabs, they have a disaster with their shamakh, their, their, their cloth that they put on. Habibi, just leave the damn thing. Yani, it's, not, it's not a sunnah, it's not yani, uh, uh, whatever, it's a culture thing. But you see the people put it on every second day, yeah, like this, every second, then like this, like this. This is, it is better for you to take it out. The Pakistanis themselves, they're shalwar, yeah. The other, every nation will have its own thing. So it's important for the people to recognize what's gonna keep me busy afterwards. And in the same chapter, probably next week they will come up now, is the issue of food, for example, and the issue of toilet, for example. You don't enter into the prayer with the intention to make it get over and done with, right? And I'm not gonna do any preparation because I'm just gonna, whatever, rush through it. If you recognize there's a job to be done and it's something serious and you respect it, then you yourself will then make sure that you approach it by making sure you've eaten so you can't risk feeling hungry and thinking about food and, you know, or for example, let me get the prayer done before I, and then I'll do this job. And then you're all the way through the prayer, you're thinking about that job and that task. So all of this is, is connected. So the busying of the heart must not be uh, 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 done. They used to say that the, uh, um, the movement, the twitching in the, the physical twitching is an expression of the twitching of the heart. When you are thinking and you are mindless, then the body also becomes mindless. And the more still your body is, is because your heart and your mind are super focused and still. So that's something which is uh, important. The, the other thing that, uh, and you know, I was, I, was, uh, I was just on the way here. You might have seen the Sheikh Kehlan who was with me uh, on the table um, in the dinner. And I was chatting with him about what he thought about the Maliki uh, position. The Malikiya, you know, um, in our kind of like more, more, uh, what kind of masajid? More stylish kind of masajid, I should say. And even that's not a nice word, but I mean, you know, those that have courtyards, forecourts, and have trees and so on like that, okay? So, for example, my, in my village, in our masjid, it's a masjid that my father built, and it has, a, you know, like a hoard, that everyone prays in, then it has the courtyard outside, which actually in the Muslim countries is very common, right? And in the kind of hot weather or the nice kind of weather, we pray outside, right? And because it's actually outside, outside, there's trees everywhere, right? Now these trees, they bring a real, you know, maza to the place. They make it relaxed and you feel, you know, you feel at peace. Um, the Malikis, just so that you understand fidgeting, fidgeting is not just the fidgeting of the hands, but the fidgeting of the eyes, and anything that distracts you. The Malikis said it's makhroo to have trees inside a masjid because it makes you busy in salah. Remember the Prophet ﷺ, he asked for uh, Aisha to get rid of these things, designs and cloth that was uh, in, uh, in the room that he would pray. One time he said, uh, Get rid of this, uh, uh, this like uh, dress, this stove, which has got uh, lines on it. All right, it's distracting me in front of me. The Prophet said. So you know, like we talked about, well, we, you guys didn't hear, but last week we spoke about the closing of the eyes. A lot of people justify the closing of the eyes to concentrate. Now we said that there's some space there. If a person's really struggling, then they're allowed to. But in actual fact, the Prophet you would have thought that, hey, 
just close your eyes. But no, he wants to get rid of the distraction, right? It's th that's a short-term kind of solution. And the closing of the eyes, as I mentioned last week, is us moving more towards meditation and more kind of Hindu practices and Buddhist practices as opposed to being proud of our own. We should know that our religion does not need that kind of process. We shouldn't need to. And as I mentioned last week, it's actually a form of weakness when you close the eyes, that you're unable to zone other things out. You know, when you look at, I don't know if you guys used to back look in the good old days of Carl Lewis, Ben Johnson, Linford Christie, right? When they used to do the 100 meter uh, gold in the Olympics. And the concept, no one used to know of it, but they the ones who coined tunnel vision, right? And tunnel vision before then, we had no idea what it meant. But when you look at these folks and they're, you know, they're doing their limbering up and they're just doing that, but they're just looking straight ahead as like, it's scary actually how focused they are. And they're just literally, their eyes are there and they're seeing everything, but they're seeing nothing. And they're just focused on that. They've got the 100 meters, they've worked it out, they can see the line, they can see the footsteps. And there's 100,000 people cheering, going nuts around them. They can't see anything. Now, that's for the dunya, man, right? People can get tunnel vision for the dunya. You need to train yourself to be in salah like that, right? And it's not, and I never, and I used to be nuts about Olympics, and I saw everything in those days. I can never once recall them closing their eyes. You know what I'm saying? So elite professionals wouldn't do that. They wouldn't cop out and close their eyes. They would cop in and make sure that they become more focused, right? Disciplined. So anyway, I just want you to know that um, we get rid of distractions. We don't take the cheat. And, but of course, if there's a scenario where you can't help it, right? Because, you know, as I mentioned last week, again, the men unfortunately suffer from this. If you're praying behind men in t-shirts, yeah, it's a disaster, right? Okay? So you have to close your eyes quite a bit because yeah, you see some dirty stuff there. You know what I mean? So anyway, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, it is what it is. Right, okay. Um, the Sheikh also says that... Uh, Anyway, uh, th th there's, there's much I need to, to, to talk yeah. about fidgeting. I'm just saying that um, it's not uh, becoming. However, is it completely haram to move? And you'll see that in the madahib, the way they treat this is that they say that, okay, a person's allowed to move like three times. Or they say that if you move like one or two centimeters allowed. Or if you've got an itch, then you can itch yourself three times. You know, these numbers and these amounts, these are not from hadith, but they are scholars who are trying to apply some kind of standards to make it easy for you to measure your actions by and so that therefore you don't kind of you know because if I was to say to you don't do it at all unless it's absolutely necessary then every time you're going to be asking yourself is this one of those is this one it just makes it difficult whereas so they will say to them right just don't do it three times now it's useful but it's not a sunnah based approach but the actual answer is, unfortunately, just that you shouldn't do it. And if you do do it, then let it be very minimal. And if you do do it, then let it be very little. And that it does not break the prayer. What breaks the prayer, you know what the level, dividing level is? What do you think is a dividing level? Or that moment where your fidgeting cancels your prayer, invalidates your prayer. What do you think? Yeah. Good. That's exactly the correct answer. It's that amount, because if I'm in my salah like this, okay, whatever happens and however rubbish my prayer is, you know I'm praying because it doesn't make sense I keep doing this while leaving my hand here. You get what I'm saying? But if it got to a level where I'm like, and you were to walk past, chances are, if they go, hey, where's, what's his, what's his name? 
yeah, I saw him there, he was scratching himself or something. You wouldn't be saying he's praying. You know what I'm trying to say? There's a level. And at that moment where you say, or oh, you're not sure, is he praying, not praying? Is he, you know, or oh, I've leant down to scratch something and so on and so forth. So th that shows the importance of actually expressing yourself in a way that's in, that's in line with the prayer itself, even if you have to. And also, if there's a need, you are allowed to move a little bit. All right. Did the Prophet ever move a little bit in the prayer? Go on. Yes, we have evidence that he. Uh, but but that's a that's a proper move. That's like a big move, right? That's footsteps. I'm talking about little moves. Without taking footsteps, Suleiman. That's a good example. Allowing them to climb and then helping them to make sure not fall off. Although there's no mention in that hadith of what his movements were. Theoretically, someone could argue against you and say that's not an evidence because they climbed onto him, he didn't touch them. In actual fact, in actual fact, one of them will say that the longer version of the hadith, he didn't even move because he didn't want to disturb the child. One of the companions actually, he, he looked up in the salah because he was like, what's happened to the prayer? Why has it got so long? And he looked up like this from the sajda and he saw that the uh, the, the Prophet had the child on the back. I can think of two that come to mind. Yeah. Was it when he removed his shoe? Mm, yeah, that could be argued. Yeah, that's not bad. That was the one. The, 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 the main one that they use is the moving of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas. So the night prayer when Ibn Abbas came and he said, Oh, well, I'll pray with you as well. And so he stood by his left hand side and the Prophet in the prayer took him by the ear. And he pulled him around. Yep, so that's quite a yani, move. But it was for a reason. Brought him around to the right-hand side. The other one, which is very interesting, if you might, you might say to that, that's a nafal prayer. Yeah? So obligatory prayer. Anyone think of one in a big congregation? Mm, we don't know what happened in that. And that's a big move. So that wouldn't be an example. Smallish. Um, that's when the Prophet ﷺ, he became busy one prayer. And um, he missed it effectively the start time. And Bilal had already given the adhan and he knew it was getting late. And so he went to Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. He goes, can you lead? And Abu Bakr says, go to the Prophet and he's always delayed. He's not going to come. So then Abu Bakr, he gave the iqamah. Abu Bakr led the prayer. And you know, Abu Bakr, you know, one of the things Abu Bakr, the problem with Abu Bakr is that he was really into his prayer. He used to cry a lot. Uh, used to be very emotional and super involved. You know, lose himself in the prayer. So the Prophet ﷺ arrives. So the people at the back, they said, SubhanAllah, SubhanAllah. And he doesn't hear anything. And until everybody realizes that the Prophet ﷺ is here, join the prayer. Mm -hmm. He should be the Imam. This is the how can a man follow the, uh, lead the Prophet ﷺ? And the hadith mentions that the tasbih had got to such a level, like everybody shouting, SubhanAllah. That Abu Bakr then, he literally turned round. Like, what's happened? He turns round. He sees the Prophet ﷺ. And he goes, oh, alhamdulillah. And he then uh, moves back into the line to motion to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ motioned in the prayer with his hand, stay there. So then Abu Bakr then turns back round and completes the prayer. Yep. So uh, we do know that little bit of movement because abath is about movement ultimately it's about yani, how much movement is allowed and that yani, indicates to us that there is a certain 
uh, amount of movement allowed if there's a need. Otherwise, no movement. Okay? Um, what else can we... Uh, Yes, yeah, absolutely. And then you move, yeah. So I was going to say is that the reason they wouldn't use this as an evidence is because this is like what the opening of the door. This is allowed and, it, and it's a proper movement. We're talking, yeah, we're talking about the minimal movements. Is that allowed? As for the major movements, but you're right though. If we can allow major movements for a need, then why not the small ones? And yes, a person in prayer is required to fill a gap. If, they, if the gap occurs next to them in the same line, then they have to move to the right to do it, or to the left if they're on the other side. And if the gap opens up in front of them, then enough steps to not make it look like you're just walking between the prayer lines. So that means effectively holding your position, that's going to be required, and then minimizing the steps, and minimizing the direction. So one or two steps, something like that is acceptable, not when it becomes three and four, and then three and four again, then three and four again. Which is why we said that when it comes to filling lines, you only do it two, three times. Because genuinely, especially in the haram, you could walk for the whole prayer. The whole prayer. And you will not pray. Me and the chief, we came to Maghrib uh, today, late. And the truth is, is that we, I mean, if you've ever come to the prayer, prayer late in the haram, you can pray that right next to the Kaaba. No problem. Because everybody <coughs> is in prayer. They're not going to move. All the gaps are there where you are. And you can zigzag your way all the way through. And you will end up right to the front. But you will miss the prayer, though. Yani, yeah, it's, it's always a, a, a case of, we keep walking, when we're going to bail out, when we're going to bail out. When we, and it's all about panic, yani, and then you're thinking, all right, that's enough. Yani. When it's the last rakah, you think, all right, I'm not doing this anymore. You just jump into the closest line. So there has to be a natural limit at what point that you're going to take this. So that's why movement itself is also uh, restricted. Shaykh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Two of you are praying, yeah. uh, one and one on the right-hand side. The third person comes, yeah. so then you can move to the front. Yes, right, so that's, that's good. That's, that's, that's another good example. So well, what we can see is that there are a number of examples in which movement for the sake of the prayer is allowed. So the imam would move forward, and an intelligent imam would always be aware of the restrictions of the situation behind and always look to help out the, the third person who's come or the fourth person. And or be aware that, you know, there's no space here. We're only in a one kind of man space. So he'll help the person come around to the left-hand side instead. So these are the kind of movements that are uh, allowed in that. Um, it is better for the other people to do, there's no doubt. The imam should be protected. But that's why I said an intelligent imam. Assessing that the people know, don't know. You know, so for example, if like what the, you know, they're in one line and two of them stand next to each other because there's no space behind, should he take that other person and bring him around here? The answer is, an intelligent imam looks at the situation, other people are going to come here or not, is it likely, is it going to get blocked up, if it is going to, then I'm going to start bringing people over to the left or early, that kind of thing. So it's a judgment call on the imam whether he's going to need to step in. If it's not an issue of space, so should the second person have the, the, kind of the wherewithal to go to the, to the left if there yeah, are. So a, a full open space front and surrounding. Two people praying. Yeah. He's should he know to stand behind? Yes. And the second person should know to Correct. Stand behind. That is a, should be a general level of knowledge that when we are three people, we need to be separated. That's a general piece of knowledge from the second person, so he should know I need to step back. And the third person should know that I need to help my guy come back. 
and the Imam overall should know that most people don't know that. And therefore, I'm going to step forward and take control here. Classic story, I must have said this before, Yani, uh, in at least one LP session. I was in Manchester University, and um, uh, the uh, I'd finished my prayer. You know, university mosques, MSA mosques, you know, they are always in and out, in and out. People just come in quickly, you know, they pray and then they go. So I'd finished my prayer, and just sitting there at the back wall, doing my dhikr, subhanAllah, 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 watching the world go by, and there's uh, a Malaysian students, foreign students, they came in, and um, so you know, gave the iqamah, and they started the prayer. All right. So there's two of them are like this, they're praying, and I'm just watching, you know, and then uh, a guy comes in. And I know this guy. He is in my pharmacy class. He's Pakistani, and he's like, a, you know, old school, basic guy. He has no idea what's going on, okay? And, uh, but he started practicing whilst we started practicing. So he's kind of impressed with our kind of, you know, wearing the dean, and he's like, you know, wants to uh, join into that whole kind of game. So he's learned in these last few weeks this whole new idea that if you come to a, a Salah thingy, then you should, you know, have a separate line. So he sees me, eyes lock on me, and he kind of smiles, and he goes, you know, I got this. And I said, all right, well, <laughs> I go, I go, I go on in, Allah, let's see what you're going to do then. So, so, you know, he goes up to the uh, guy, and he very gently, politely taps him on the, this side. So he comes up to here, right? So the second chap. Yeah. The second chap, all right? The, the, not the imam, but the follower, all right? And uh, so he taps him, and then he goes back into the line behind, waiting for him to step back. He waits one, two seconds, the guy doesn't move. Okay? Five seconds, ten seconds. So he thinks that maybe it was too gentle. Because you know, actually, anyone who does this, you do do it very gently, don't you? Because you don't want to disturb. He's very, very respectful. So he goes back, and, uh, 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 and he goes back to him again, and he goes like this, that level, all right? No movement whatsoever. So then he really feels that this guy's in his prayer, and so whatever, so he gives him a proper, yeah, like that. And I'm thinking, you know what, this is going to go wrong here. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't move. And I didn't want to say anything. You know, it was all my fault, actually, because I should have said something, yeah? And uh, he used to train. He was a weightlifter. And I swear to you by Allah, he picked him up like this, off the floor. This guy was a miskin, Malaysian miskin, you know, like this. Picked him off the floor. And he brought him back and put him in the, the row, row behind him. I saw it with my own eyes. And you know, you know when a person wants to scream, but he can't. <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, what's happening here? You know, I can't believe this. I let this happen on my watch. He stood next to him, just prayed normal, everything. Nothing wrong with that. He didn't move. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't move, you're right. He didn't move. So, 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 so ironically, it's just like, it's like what uh, Uthman just said. He didn't move. So why is his prayer uh, nullified? Right? He literally held this position completely, right? He's just been transferred to a different place. And actually transferred to the right place in the wrong way. And although that's funny, uh, a lot of people unfortunately do this to a lesser degree. Obviously you haven't seen that before. I, mean, I can say I've seen it. But what do, what do people do? You do see people tug others, isn't it? That's very common. And I said, and I said before that there's a balance here. A judgment uh, call has got to be made where sometimes you do need to give a little indication because some people you know what they are they don't look at their feet 
you know, they're in looking at the sajda point and they're not looking at the line or they're not realizing a gap's created and you feel a little gap and then you look down and then, oh, and then you, you, you know, so that's okay. But when, like, you know, you've got these aunties and uncles who are doing all this kind of behavior, that's a, that's a mess. That really is. And, and that's, that's obviously what we've got to uh, try to... Definitely. 100%. Absolutely. It was absolutely required. And that's what I was trying to, you know, but words wouldn't come out. And it was too late anyway. They lifted him off the floor. Yeah? He should, stand, should have stood right next to him on that right-hand side or gone on to the left-hand side. It would have been the same. It really, uh, uh, that's what you do in that uh, uh, situation. All right, the next one. Um, yeah, and Aisha mentions also that uh, during salam, the companions used to indicate with their hands in the prayer. Remember that when it comes to the salam, it is obligatory to respond to it. So much so that, and by the way, uh, uh, you know when we were in Medina on Friday? That's what the uh, khutbah was about. The Imam the, in Medina, the Masjid Nabawi, the khutbah was all about salam. The importance of salam, the giving of salam, the obligation of salam, and the whole thing. All right? Um, and ironically, in, he, he covered everything except this very point, which is what happens if someone gives you salam in the prayer. Okay? And in the prayer, the companions used to indicate with their hands. Okay? Because you don't speak but to indicate that, yeah, I've returned your salam. In case you forget it, because the other way of doing it is to remember it, and then after the salam, the prayer is finished, and you go up to that person and say, wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Because it's sunnah to do it, but it's obligatory to return it, and it's saved up. So you either dispense your obligation by, by the indication, which used to be done by a finger or by a hand, and the person sees it and recognizes, okay, and or as I said, afterwards. And there's some discussion about that. We can speak about that in this front section. What tahassurihi is a, the next point. Now, tahassur itself has been differed upon what the scholars uh, about uh, uh, what it means. Why is this disliked? And what does tahassur mean? The khasira in Arabic is basically your, 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 your hips, right? And the, I would say the majority of scholars, they understood that this means the person who's standing like this in the prayer. Now, I don't know anyone who does that, but I think it's metaphorically indicating someone who is a bit arrogant. And arrogance, of course, it doesn't belong in a prayer at all. In actual fact, the prayer is the most humbling act of submission. It has the most humiliating position that any human being could ever go to, which is to prostrate except that Allah makes it the most honorable position because it's to Him. So uh, the act itself is completely any submission. So a person given it the big end. So that's what some scholars said. Others said that it's not the khasira, the hip which is being referred to, but ikhtisar. And ikhtisar can be of two types. Ikhtisar means yani, when you are shortening something and summarizing something. So some scholars said that this makru is when you take one ayah from here, one ayah from there, and you're just choosing summarized version so you know that uh, uh, um, there is an idea out there from some scholars that you know when they give the uh, when they're reciting uh, they would normally recite and the whole surah and you should do full surahs and if and the reason they don't go into the big surahs is because they don't read the whole thing and that it's not good just to choose an ayah there just one ayah there two ayahs there and so on because you're kind of summarizing a huge surah a massive message by just taking an ayah. Now, the, the problem with this opinion is that the Prophet ﷺ himself used to do that. So we know that, in, for example, in the Hadith Sahih, that in Salatul Fajr Sunnah, we all know it's Qul Ya Al Kafirun and Qul Ahad, the Sunnah of Fajr. 
but also it's sunnah to recite from Surah Al-Baqarah and uh, Surah Ali Imran. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ used to recite yani, one ayah, uh, okay, and from Surah Al-Baqarah, and he used to recite from Surah Ali Imran one ayah. And yani, so the actions of the Prophet ﷺ has proven that that's allowed, so it can't be that. The third opinion was ikhtisar of the salah, yani, making the prayer summarized. So just doing quick rushed prayers. So all of these are possible reasons why takhassur uh, is prohibited but, uh, or, or, or disliked. But the scholars consider it in the majority to be uh, this. And there's a reason for that, because of hadith. We have a hadith narrated from the, 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 the authority of Aisha, and she said that this is because this is the practice of the Jews, narrated by Bukhari in the chapter of the statements of the prophets, and in the subsection, uh, uh, that which has been mentioned from Bani Israel. Uh, Aisha is the one who specifically said that you shouldn't be standing like that. And... I think Widad was looking at this last time, some of the actions of the Jews in the prayers, and it could be that they have some kind of thing with their hands. Is it? What that movement? Where are their hands when they do that? They're not on their hips. Ah, well, I went there, yeah. I went, to, I went to the Western Wall. I went into the enemy territory, you know that, yeah? I took one for the team. I went straight in. They're my brothers, yeah. Your, your friends, my brothers. The Arabs, the Indians say they're cousins all the time. I love that when they say that, our cousins. I went in proper, by the way. Not just yani, to the Western Wall, just the, the, the Wailing Wall, sorry, in that, sorry, <coughs> Burak Wall, yeah? I went to the left-hand side, yeah? And that's scary territory. They're all in there, hardcore at it. Oh, the hands are here in front, yeah. They're not under thing. They're not under hips. Huh? Or, or, or they're holding, yeah, correct. Or they're reading something. But anyway, that's just one part of the prayer. I mean, there's many other aspects of the prayer. Shaitan, yeah. So there's another narration which is that this is an act of shaitan. And, but that hadith is not very strong. So some said that that's one of the other reasons as well. Um, okay. And then, uh, this is the last one for now. Uh, to do tarawwah in the prayer. This is also something which is disliked. What is tarawwah? This is another thing that the scholars differed over. They, some of them said, this is taken from the mirwaha, from the fan. And this is referring to a person yani, who's fanning himself in the prayer, or doing anything to cool himself in the prayer. Okay? From mirwaha. Okay? Ma'khuz min al-riyah, taken from the word wind. Okay? Um, whether he is uh, got a palm leaf, or he's got something else, and, uh, you know, he's shaking it, whatever, and uh, he goes, this is something which is from fidgeting and movement, and it's making a person busy, and if there is, uh, uh, this is something, Yani, which is not uh, acceptable in the prayer. But if there is incredible difficulty in terms of Im immense heat, and he, he cannot uh, carry on the prayer, except that he needs a little bit of air, then that's allowed. And that's because it's makru, it's not haram, and a little bit of movement for a need we've already established is allowed. And that would be a need. But, you know, not just, you know, oh, I want to feel relaxed, you know, and I feel like I'm in the Bahamas, yani, and, you know, just put the Caribbean Calypso on and, you know, whatever you're praying. I mean, it's going to be tough anyway. And? 2010. Yeah? Basement. Air conditioning. Closed. Finished. I've never seen such a heat up so fast. I just stayed there. I just feel like what do you do when I have to move on? To break the prayer. So Uthman is basically saying, because that happened to me once as well. Uthman was saying they're in the haram in the basement in 2010. And the AC turned off. 
And you know when you've got such a building with such so many people in there, the body heat literally, bam, and within seconds. It's amazing how much work air conditions actually do. You only realize it when they go off, right? Yeah? So, I mean, that's suffocating. Are you allowed to break the prayer? Yes, you are. Because that is something which is literally a person can, it's not even the, the health uh, issue. It does you nothing. You think, you start panicking, people get anxiety and so on. So if it gets to a serious level where your prayer is basically meaningless, then you're, you're not even praying anyway. So it's something that it's allowed to break the prayer for. for. Now, um, the, the sheikh then says, um, and yeah, just so that if the, the students can write this down, yani especially online, that there's a qaida, there is a rule, a maxim that the fuqaha, the scholars use, anything which is disliked is allowed if there's a need for it. Anything which is disliked. So we're not talking about haram things, makruh things. If there's a need for it, it's allowed. And the Sheikh then finally says um, that the other opinion of tawarruh is the murawaha. That the other opinion about tarawah, it being disliked, is the shifting of one's weight from one foot to the other foot. Okay? And this is something which should not happen uh, all the way through the prayer. You do see some people like this, then like that, then like this, and it just becomes like this constant movement. But if there is an occasional little lean here, and then an occasional another lean there, then that's something which is allowed on one condition, and that is that you don't take the foot off the floor. You know, they do that, right? They kind of put it on the other one. Or they put one foot forward and one uh, backwards. So it's not like a lean of the knees, it's actually the lean of the, you know, you, 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 you plant your foot, if you know what I mean. If you're standing straight, you can't get comfortable, so you kind of move your foot aside a little bit, and then you plant it, right? And then you go like that, and then you plant it. That's what's not allowed. Yeah, that's what's that's going to be falling into the makroh. So that's enough, Yanni, from the text uh, today. In terms of questions on uh, line, let's do that first, and then we'll take it in the, uh, uh, here. So, um, regarding one of the reasons for not looking up in Salah being that it is copying the Jews. Um, no, um, a, if I said that, then that was a mistake. It's not looking up in the, uh, that's closing the eyes, which is one of the actions of the Jews. Not looking up to the, sea, uh, the sky. That's the hadith of the Prophet. The reason that's haram is because the Prophet specifically forbade it. Um, so that's uh, that. It's more of a fitra, fitra thing to look up or close the eyes. It's not like we're doing it because they are doing it and just because they are doing it too. It doesn't mean that we are necessarily copying them. That's correct. If we speak, stick to just the example of closing the eyes, you're right. And that's why we said always, uh, as well that if someone closes their eyes yani, just for a moment here and there, then that's something which is allowed. But if you are doing it and continuing to do it, knowing that you're doing it, it now moves from just personal habit to you allowing it to happen. So you are actually now involved. It now becomes you incorporating, incorporating it into your act of worship. Uh, when getting up from sajda, I have to hold something to get up as I have weak, weak knees. Is this okay? Yes, if there's a need, then that is something which is allowed. Uh, when we do dhikr after the prayer, should it be done straight after the far prayer or after the full prayer, i.e. after the sunnah prayer? Um, and uh, and, uh, and the, answer, so the answer to that is that it's after the obligatory prayer. The Prophet ﷺ was seen... Remember that the Prophet ﷺ did not pray the sunnah in the masjid, okay? The sunnah prayer 
is meant to be prayed at home. And the obligatory prayer is what's meant to be prayed in the masjid. And this is a sunnah that many people don't do. Now, obviously, us, something different. Okay? When you come to the haram, you're smashing everything that you possibly can inside the haram because that's what we're here for. But in a normal scenario, you don't pray the sunnah except at home. And the Prophet used to sit there after the obligatory prayer. He would turn around and face the congregation and he would remain there making dhikr for a good few minutes. Good few minutes. Um, and the question not currently being discussed, if Isha prayer is missed due to falling asleep and you wake up at Fajr time, do you make up the Isha prayer before Fajr or read Isha twice at Isha time the next day to make it up? The answer is that you always have to put the missing prayer forward un unless the one prayer that you are in the prayer time for now, its time is about to expire. So if it was 6 o'clock sunrise and it's 5.55 and you haven't prayed Isha and Fajr, then Isha you now put to the side, you pray Fajr because this Fajr time is going to expire. And then after that, then you'd pray Isha. But if you woke up at 5.45, for example, then you'd pray Isha at 5.45 or 5.50 and then follow it immediately by the Fajr prayer because you can now get both of them done. What was the answer with respect to people praying whilst looking at the uh, Kaaba? So uh, Imam Malik himself, as I said, he used to consider it to be something which is uh, uh, okay to look at. But the majority... Uh, do not allow that. And so I'm just saying that uh, when you are in front of the Kaaba, which is obviously far more challenging, you've got to say to yourself, yani, uh, properly, yani, that this is the Kaaba and I'm standing in front of the owner of the Kaaba and he deserves more yani, of my attention and respect. And the Sunnah of the Prophet is more beloved to us than to look at the Kaaba. And as I said to you in the thing, yeah, that if you're that hungry to look at the Kaaba, you have 23 hours and, uh, and a half for the rest of the day to sit there and watch the Kaaba. Why do you have to ruin the Salah over it? Yeah, this is Salah, this is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to have a little cheeky and a glimpse at the Kaaba, you can do that yani, for the rest of the day or the rest of the night. And that's, that's okay. What about holding the Mus'haf and reading from it during the prayer? And this is why, this is a new thing, a lot of people do that, okay? And inshallah, you know, it's funny, I, I taught Fiqh Salah first time about... 2008 I believe and I remember that first time I taught in London and I said in that class in London when I, when I said it when we come to the chapter of uh, the Nafal prayers and is it in Taraweeh is it allowed to recite from the Mus'haf I remember very clearly saying that uh, this is all the scholars consider this to be makruh or haram and only in modern times fatwas were allowed that are uh, because a person because people are so far from the Quran and they're not going to break the hajjid anymore so let's let them at least use it minimize the turning use big mushaf on the stand and then don't hold you know different ideas whatever and i remember saying at that 2008 i said inshallah this is going to be redundant soon because nec at that time which is a big electronics company they were already trialing the glasses that hologram project the image that never happened all right and then google glass came along and i said google glass is going to smash it we're all going to have all these glasses we don't need to look at anything just put the glasses on have the mushaf in front of us whatever that was the only complete failure all right google glasses they took it out of the development stage they didn't bother selling it and for three years i think and it's making a comeback i think this year or this month they're relaunching the google glasses i guarantee this one's going to be the one that's going to do it <laughs> yeah. i just want you to know that i called it 12 years ago that's what i'm saying all right so when it happens yeah, and you'll see it'll happen. Right. Uh, so I, I think that it's allowed because of the need if a person's praying Nafal prayer. As we said the other, uh, many times we said, the obligatory prayer and the uh, Nafal prayer are not the same. Um, there are things that are allowed in Nafal prayer, like sitting down, 
I'm praying and on the camel whilst praying that are not allowed in the obligatory. So I think that it's okay to do minimal movements if it allows a person to pray at night. Um, so is there a three movement rule? No. All right. With respect to in, uh, itching and so on. The Hanafis do say that. And I understand it's wisdom and it's good kind of uh, practice. But is it a definite? No. The answer is not something that is from the Sunnah. Oh, no, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. One of the chefs said if uh, Imam Abu Hanifa happened to be here, he would have allowed it many more times than three times. Ah, uh, sure. That's tricky. <laughs> I like it. It's true. And it, these, these rules that come out are for convenience and based upon experience. And it's true. If you are in an area where your experience is, is that you do have to move in the prayer many times because of itching or killing mosquitoes, whatever, whatnot, then maybe the number would have changed. Right? It's true. Which is also shows the difficulty of the scholar. What does he tell the masses in order to help them when he knows they're not allowed to move at all? But he also knows that he's got to give something, otherwise he's just going to turn into like this kind of, you know, inanimate object here and in the prayer that has no emotional life or anything. Right? So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bit uh, difficult. Walaikum salam. Yes. Uh, good to see you, bro. Um, so pins and needles, for example, yeah, that's something which is allowed to, you know, shake the foot gently to bring it back. And you've got to be careful, of course, because if you stand up like that, which I've done before, and then the, the, it goes, the foot goes, it's, 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 it's dangerous. And Lutz asks, can the dhikr after salah be done on the move? All right, this is something which a lot of people do. I, you finish praying, pack up, pack up, the musallah, then do dhikr whilst walking to the school, run the car, back to the desk, whatever. Um, is the reward lessened or the same? Now... In my opinion, and this is from my own pocket, I believe that the reward is lessened. I believe that dhikr is not just a, a something which is done for its intrinsic benefit, but I also think that dhikr is done because effort is appreciated by Allah. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That a person who decides to sit there and... Because why do people do it on the move? Why? Saves time. Got things to do. Convenient. Now, if I were to say, you know what? That's important, but not as important as my dhikr. You've made a conscious decision, haven't you? You've got to get some extra reward for that, surely. You get my point? So, and we do it. It's allowed. It's allowed to go and do it, all right? And if you're super busy with something important, maybe Allah knows your intention and you get the same reward. But there's no way you're getting yeah, any that on a normative basis, the same reward. I mean, how can you? When a person is so, uh, you know, attached to their prayer and recognizes this is Allah's moment and my moment, and I'm going to deal with this, not going to give any priority to anything else. Of course, they've got to get the extra reward. Right. Uh, any questions here? Yeah. yeah. So what happens if Salah is already started? Yeah. You miss one rakah. Yeah. How do we continue, for example, for today? We were like running around for the ground with indicate uh, her uh, proper. Where to stand? Uh, so, no, we were we joined it, but we were late. So yeah. It was a four. Uh, it was a four rakah, four part of that prayer. We, were, we only. It had one, done one. You only yeah. caught them in the last. Uh, in the second one so you had one left you mean one left. so you did three yeah, yeah. so the scholars yani, generally they differed over the approach to this there are two approaches but the majority of the scholars okay uh, consider that when you join a prayer late mm -hmm. it's the beginning of your prayer so you afterwards you make up what's left <coughs> which basically means that um, uh, you would be counting from, uh, so like, like you said, you did three with the imam, so mm -hmm. this is your first three. So that, that means from a surah point of view, whether you recite it in the first two or not in the, or in the, not in the, the last two or the last one, mm -hmm. it means from tashahud point of view. But that's a simple rule. 
whatever you, whenever you join with the Imam or whatever you pray with the Imam, it's considered the beginning of your prayer and not what is left, which is the other opinion. Any other questions? Yeah. If you're a traveler and you go into a masjid, yeah, yeah. and you know what about the imam? If you are a traveler, only needing to pray two, and you enter into a masjid, after two rakah, there's only two left, and you know that this imam is not a traveler, then all four imams and the vast majority of scholars, they tell you you still have to pray for. Because the Prophet ﷺ said that the imam has been placed to be followed. Tiny, tiny, modern minority of scholars said that you can pray too. But the majority rejected. Huh? Yeah, if you weren't sure, you assume, uh, you, uh, if you're not sure if he's the imam resident, muqim imam, and there's a possibility that it's a traveler, you make a judgment call based upon the people, upon the place. If you're going to a neighborhood mosque, they're not leading, allowing some random yani, traveler to lead the prayer. Yeah, so you, you have a look at the imam. Does he look like a guy yani, who's flustered, doesn't know what's going on? Or does he look like you know, the, the molvi of the, of, the, of the, you know? So you make that judgment call. If you, based upon good evidence, think there's a good chance this guy's a traveler, then no problem at all. You pray your two rakah. Yeah. Yeah, but, but that's actually the example I'm saying. If there was an imam who prayed four rakah, but you don't even know that, right? And you joined in the last two rakah, right? The, you still stand up and pray two more for the simple reason that you know that he prayed for and he's the imam. The real question comes in, what if you don't know? If you don't know, you make a judgment call. And if you know for certain that this imam is a traveler, then you absolutely pray two. No problem at all. Same. Even if you catch him right at the end so that you'd have to stand up and make everything, it's still about a judgment call. If the, it's the imam of a locality, we assume it's four. Well, that's a, that, that's a whole different discussion. Is a, is a prayer, is a, is a prayer caught? Yeah, if you say... No, we said that you don't catch the prayer in terms of something with the imam if you don't catch that rakah. So that's what we're going for. That's no, what about reward? There's a difference between, there's, there's two things you want to catch from a prayer. The legal praying with an imam so that you pray less by yourself. So that's one achievement. And two, the 27 times extra reward of congregation. This second one is achieved if you get to him before he says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. This is achieved if you catch him in Rukua. What if you Jum'ah? Yeah, so the Jum'ah is an exception because, and that's why the scholars said that if a person misses this, these two legal rak'ah with the Imam in the Jum'ah prayer, he's missed the Jum'ah prayer from a legal point of view, not a reward point of view, and therefore he has to stand up and pray Dhuhr. It does. That's why, that's a mat as I said, it's a matter of difference of opinion, that one. The issue of Jumai is a controversial one. Not everyone uh, agreed on that, that you have to st stand. But uh, they basically said, if you've missed Jumai, then you make up your Jumai. Others said, there's no such thing as a person praying Jumai by himself. It's got to be Dhuhr. That's where the, the, the crux of the matter is.
but none of them disagreed that you caught the reward. That's what I mean. The difference is between reward catching and uh, unit legal prayer catching. Yeah. Suleiman. With the Imam, the um, Amin, right. and in fact, all of the actions of the prayer should, as best as possible, be with the Imam. As best as possible, should be with the Imam. In actual fact, the Hadith states with the Amin that the ones whose Amin corresponds with the Imam and the angels, his sins are forgiven, which is an authentic Hadith and a great one. Yes. If you miss Surah Fatiha at the beginning, um, if you start like midway through a Surah while the Imam is reading the Surah, yeah. Does that still count? Do you still get yes. If you, have, if you are late to a prayer and you miss the entirety of the Fatiha, the Imam says Allahu Akbar, or you tried it and you got caught halfway as well trying to make it up, and you, the Imam says Allahu Akbar, you must go Allahu Akbar. You must not continue the Fatiha. And even that portion is enough for you. All right? Yes. Yeah, so we covered this uh, last year and there's a lot of detail, but in principle, your intention behind another person is what, what matters, not their intention. And so if you stand behind someone, you can then get that, that prayer. But there's a lot of detail in that question. A lot. Yeah. And what about the janaza prayer? Like, you can make... Yeah, janaza prayer, Eid prayer, all of these prayers that have these actions that need to be caught up with, the same thing happens. So if you, for example are praying your obligatory prayer, you're late, they've started the janazah prayer, you give salam, you quickly stand up, you know that three have already gone by or two have already gone by, you go Allahu Akbar and then you say Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Muhammad, Allahu Akbar, yourself. You do that your own self until you catch up to where he is. That's the same with an Eid or a janazah prayer. Who was here? Yeah. When, we, I'm sorry. Yeah. when we joined the prayer we were talking about, in a, uh, the class, what level uh, is it before the crew or after the crew that that ruqa is gone? Uh, in terms of in terms of like you're saying, the imam is in ruqur, yeah, and you have what, come. What, what so we just that joined time. in. Yeah, so you're saying what needs to be done to have considered that you've caught the actual yeah, thing. Exactly. All right. Exactly. So, so this is actually quite difficult, and we're going to be covering this in detail for LP students yani, later. But the question is, is that is it based upon the samiyallahu al-muhammidah? Or is it based upon a uh, full ruku' or is it based upon you or is it based upon your perfection or not? Okay. And to summarize, in my opinion, if you are able to get into some form of ruku' and I do not mean the perfect, but I mean where someone was to look at you and it was like an attempt into the position, then that is sufficient without even having to say subhanahu rabbi al-azim. Some said you have to be able to get into ruku and say Subhan Rabbi Al-Azim. And there's actually a lot of good evidence both ways. From a practical point of view, you should consider to, it's to be safe. Because yani, why would take a risk? You just yani, assume it's missed and then you do it. But if you want the practical limit, then you should say, before he says, Samiyallahu liman hamida, before he's standing up straight, and I'm able to go into a ruku, and I'm able to say Subhan Rabbi Al-Azim, I have caught the rakah. Then you can be completely comfortable and not have to be stressed about it. Someone says, uh, last week you will try to do today's live class from the haram. I'm assuming it did not go through. What do you think we're doing, bro? 
<laughs> I know that you want to see the Kaaba, but yani. <laughs> no, let's open it, yeah? Huh? You can't see anything, yeah? Okay, there you go. Um, Omar Bahgat from USA, Kabila, join us for Purified in Manchester. He was reciting louder and louder, so me and Ibrahim joined him. We thought he was on solid, solid Josh enjoying his salam. We just continued during, during our own jama'ah. Omar Bahgat yani, is, a, is, a, is amazing. And I wish that you would listen to him because he knows what he's doing as well. Did the Sahaba pray Isha in the last third of the night? Is it true? Do we have any delil as my boys were debating with me as I was getting mad at them as I hadn't prayed Isha yet? That sounds like a sick line yani, to, to use on your mom. I'm doing the sunnah, mom. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, no. Uh, never was the Isha prayed in the last third of the night. The Prophet the hadith of Abu Hurairah said that the Prophet wanted Isha to be delayed until a third or a half of the night had passed. Okay? The hadith actually states that if it wasn't that I would, be, I would make it too difficult upon you, I would have obligated you to pray Isha when a third or a half of the night had gone, uh, you know, just before that. Because we know that after midnight, midnight is not 12 o'clock, but it means the mid of the night, which at the moment is almost perfectly 12 o'clock, by the way. Uh, in, in, you see, equatorial countries like uh, Saudi or Mecca, they are very stable. So our Fajr kicks in at 5.20. Yeah? Our, our, sorry. Yeah. And our Maghrib is at 5.20. Five, which is perfect 12 o'clock midnight but in UK our, our midnight goes from 11 p.m. till 12.50 or 1 p.m. 1 a.m. sorry that's that variation of what midnight is so anyway praying after midnight is, is makruh or rejected by the vast majority of scholars so a prayer has to be prayed before midnight but the, the single person praying by himself or herself or at home they should try their best to delay Isha unless they are absolutely tired and want to go to sleep Otherwise, if a masjid is praying it in congregation early, that's the only time the Isha is prayed early because a congregation is praying it. But the sunnah of Isha is to delay it. Who? Uh, you mean like 5.30 and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. At the moment, that's what's happening, yeah. The, the Isha has been prayed at 5.30 and it feels horrible. Horrible when you pray Isha that early. Right, and finally... Um, and also, an angel is appointed to make dua for the one who remains in their place of prayer. Very good. Zakallah an excellent point. When a person is making dhikr and remains there, he's getting extra support as well. Extra dua and barakah from the angels too. Go on, bro. Um, there's a quiet lady here that is It depends if it's Musa or Zahra. And, um, <laughs> Depends who's on, yeah, on my good books or not. I know he's been living away. Fatima Miskina, yeah, go on, you deal with it. Uh, the, yeah, whatever. The um, uh, uh, the answer is is that that depends on the level of disturbance, the level of distress, because not that, not each time a baby cries is it the same, but if it's causing a real you know problem for the person praying and the child, then it's allowed to make that move. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some space for that. The question is, is that if you're praying and there's someone at the door trying to get through to you and you're trying to, you know, the pack thing is to say Allahu Akbar, okay? That's not what you do, by the way. But I know that all of us yani, have been brought up on that, yeah? Just to say Allahu Akbar randomly, right? Which is one of our best yani, characteristics, to be honest, yeah? Completely invented, no basis. What you are far better doing is to raise your voice with what you're reciting. 
Okay, you don't introduce a random takbir. So you say, Maliki Yawmiddin, that's what you do. And they realize, oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Now, obviously, if you're in the middle of the Surah Al-Baqarah or whatever, and you start reciting, they ain't got a clue what's going on here, then <laughs> that's, you know, that's something else. But that's basically how we uh, will uh, do it. So, no, in Dhuhr and Asr, you would also make some uh, sound. It's not a problem, that. Yeah, and we know even the Prophet in the silent prayers used to raise his voice, not because of to tell people that he's praying, but to indicate where he was. So, indicating things in the prayer has space. So, for, uh, you know, I, I, I've spoken about this before. So, you know, especially when you're working with non Muslims. Yeah? When I used to work in retail, I used to do all kinds of moves yani, in the prayer to indicate that I'm praying, because they don't know what's going on. So sometimes you've got the time to tell them, but if they're busy, you're thinking, yeah, by the time that I get to tell you, I would have come and I've gone and prayed and come back by then. Yep. So sometimes you make that judgment call and you go off to pray. So uh, often I'd go to pray in the stock uh, cupboard, you know, where they, they, they come. And so, you know, when the girls would come down and come in, and they'd be me standing there, whatever, and they and they, they'd speak to me, huh, what's going on, what are you doing here? <laughs> so I was, like, <laughs> I was like, you know, so I developed my own system. So yeah, I would, and it doesn't matter that you're going like that. They're so miskin, they have got no idea. No, gen, gen, genuinely, I, I used to be, you know, like you see me right now, I used to work like this for the longest time. And they used to think I'm Jewish. <laughs> Honestly. Anyway, so the point is, is that uh, I, would, I, would, I would put up, and I wouldn't go like this because that means, it doesn't mean five minutes. It means like go away or whatever, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it could mean many things. So I would go like this and you know, to indicate that. So yeah, there, you are allowed to physically and verbally do things to indicate to other people that you're praying. That's where the hand comes from. When someone is coming, why do they come by? Normally, it's because they don't know you're praying. So you just put out your hand like that, and then all oh, they stop, right? And, then, and that's it. That's all that it takes. If they're innocent and good-minded. That's why the Prophet then said, if he doesn't stop after three times, then obviously you need to get, you know, a bit more serious because they're being arrogant now. And... Um, I remember one disaster, I've got to say the story. I, 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 2008, 9, uh, Ottawa, I was teaching a class, uh, and uh, it was a two-weekend class back in the good old days where we used to teach proper dean and people yeah, and they were proper interested. Yeah? So, in the week in between, and, you know, your boy thought that, you know, I'm going to be a champion, I'm going to learn how to ski. You know, it was snow, Ottawa, December, lots of snow, it was great. So I went to a place called Mount Tremblant, okay? And it's like near Montreal and it's great. And yeah, I, I stood on the thingy and I said, this is easy enough. And I uh, went and then you know what that was happening. I didn't know how to stop. So I'm going, going, going. And then I just panicked and I just, you know, I left my legs like this. And what happened is that I lost balance and the ski went in to the snow. But my knee, and it didn't want to go that way. So my whole body twisted around my knee with my leg implanted in the thing. So it ripped everything in my knee. Anyway. So, I've had it all bandaged up, this, that, whatever. So, for the whole week now, I'm now confined to the hotel. And I taught that second weekend in a wheelchair, actually. Yeah? The, I'm in my room, and it's a room, you know, the Canadian rooms, they are much bigger, you know, hotel rooms than the rest of the world, right? They're huge. And I had, the, I had a room which was two twin beds, right? So, for Salah, what I would do is I would, they were pretty close anyway, actually, so I'd just make them a little bit closer, and I would sit on one bed, and I would have my foot in between the gap and I would lift my foot onto the other one. You got what I'm saying? The, the, you know the, 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 the shape that I'm talking about. So if this is the bed that way and that way, I'd sit on the bottom of this bed and I'd have my feet and on the other bed I've got my foot. 
So this is how I'll be praying. So I'm there sitting there praying and housekeeping, housekeeping obviously. <laughs> now, she was Chinese lady, Miskina. I remember, I never forget auntie. She was maybe about 50, 60 years old. And, uh, you know, she rings and uh, then again she rings and then, you know how you do. And then, then they come in on the third time. They go, housekeeping. And then she comes in and obviously she sees the back of me chilling out on the bed. That's all she, as far as she's concerned. Yeah, what you know. He goes, hey, hey, you stay there. Don't worry about me. Blah, blah, blah. You know, running around, you know, like keeping up busy. I don't want to do the Chinese accent because you're going to say that I'm being racist. But it was classic, yeah, any 50 dawla kind of behavior. Yeah? So, so she's like, you know, this, that, whatever. And, wallahi, this is the truth, man. Okay? She it goes this and she's going around. She, uh, she put, thinks that I'm reading or doing something. But definitely not praying. Who prays like that? With one knee like that and one uh, leg out there like that. And as she walks past me, okay, and I'm still like, thinking, this is a disaster, yeah? And then I see her pause. She pauses, looks at me. She goes, oh, oh. And she goes, I'll give you, I'll give you a cushion. So she goes out and she brings two pillows back. Wallahi, she lifts my leg up while I'm in salah. And puts the two cushions underneath my, my leg. In salah. <laughs> Wallahi. She was so nice. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, that's that whole scenario where you know what to do, but you don't know what to do. And you're just, yeah, and you're just whatever. I was bamboozled, I was. I just didn't move. She must have thought, yeah, you're ungrateful little thing. <laughs> <laughs> not a single thing said. Not completely ignored me, whatever, whatnot. And you know what? Anyway, so yeah, it is, it is important to, uh, to uh, you know, indicate to people in one way or the other. That's, that's mistakes. Anyway, that's enough. It's getting late. People are about to die here. Yeah, and yeah, I can see people knocking out. And it's, uh, it's, it's late, isn't it? What time is it? Oof. All right. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Shadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Wa astagafiruka Allahumma wa atubu ilaikum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.